ghosts are horny. Ookie. Revisiting female violence. <laughs> that could be any of these episodes. I, I hate to bring up bugs. <laughs> Once again, I have to bring up bugs. Six quick and easy steps for your common demon summoning. I accept this headcanon. Liberal propaganda. Damn cucks. This is a John Winchester hate zone. Could have had okay. Killer Optimus Prime and he had to be racist. To be fucking racist. Persqueeter. Hi and welcome to On the Road with Supernatural, the podcast where we watch and discuss Supernatural episode to episode from the beginning. I'm Jasper Graydon. I'm Jordan Grimm. And I'm Ripley. <laughs> and we'll be your hosts for this Monster of the Week journey through American folklore and Christian mythology. Welcome back, Ripley. It is really nice to have you here today for the full episode, and thank you so much for um, covering our asses well. (laughs) (laughs) We do not have Allie with us because she is in Ireland. Oh, you're very welcome. I had a lot of fun last time popping my head in and saying hi, so this is a lot of fun. Yeah, um, we didn't really get to do a whole lot of introducing you last time because we were just talking about (laughs) Sam Hain real quick. (laughs) (laughs) sorry I just can't I can't deal with that um but I was hoping today for our listeners you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've interacted with Supernatural and the Supernatural fandom um over the years um sure so I have a really odd relationship with Supernatural but don't we all if it was on Facebook it would say it's complicated (laughs) (laughs) so I kind of am one of those people that was sort of in the fandom back in like 2012 the time the classic Uh, time yes the the classic time. time yep and then in 2014, I ended up dropping out of fandom, writing, anything fun, basically, and I just said no to Supernatural. I was over it at that point. And then 1518 happened yeah. and dragged me out of retirement, right. and now I am back. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> We're so happy to have you. Thank you. I am. I have come back, and I am a fic writer. You can find me on um, Ao3 at cheerful underscore Shinigami or on Twitter at cheerful Ripley. So I, yeah, I have kind of an odd thing because I, I haven't been here for the entire tenure of the show, so I don't really know anything really after nine except what I've gathered through pop culture osmosis. So, you know, it's not. I don't really know it very well. But the one through five is like my comfort zone so seasons four and five are my favorite so i'm just so happy to be able to talk about it yes nice we're excited (laughs) to have you thank you it is kind of funny to me that like i know how much you love four and five and don't get me wrong i like (laughs) they're so good like there's something about like the early seasons that is like really really compelling and like oddly Mm -hmm. charming despite its tone Mm -hmm. oftentimes but I am definitely a, a back half mm-hmm. of the series kind of bitch. Like, I'm like, <laughs> let these weirdos nest in their, ti- their like, hole in the ground 
and you know make a bunch of friends we want those found family vibes you know oh i absolutely love there's several aspects of the later on that i absolutely love it's just i always felt like the tone in the overall arc of the earlier seasons was tighter yeah yeah well, for sure but yeah for sure found family of course for sure mm-hmm. what gay can resist found family <laughs> to be honest yeah not, not this none, one none none of us it's you can't do it it's fake <laughs> it's just in our dna <laughs> so my last question for you is going to be is there anything you want the viewers to know about you outside of the supernatural fandom like any pets that you love any um what other what are your other favorite tv shows um we're, we're gauging your taste yeah oh <laughs> Um, well, I am a nerd, let's say. Let's say that. (laughs) I actually have what I call on my Uh Twitter profile, uh, the Bunker Library. I'm actually collecting references and lore books to all sorts of mythologies and things, uh, urban legends, things like that. Hell yeah. So I'm married. I'm a huge dinosaur nerd. We had a dinosaur-themed wedding. Incredible. So, you know, a little bit of a nerd. Amazing. (laughs) Yep. And I have two cats. They're both space boys, Orion and Sirius. Oh, I love that. Very, very good cat (laughs) names. And very good cats. I've seen pictures of them. They're definitely a duo. (laughs) (laughs) So today's episode is Season 4, Episode 10, Heaven and Hell, or Anna Milton's Guide to Hitting It and Quitting It. (laughs) This episode was written by Eric Kripke and Trevor Sands, directed by J. Miller Tobin, and originally aired on November 20th, 2008. And it just dives right in exactly where we left off in the previous episode, which was I Know What You Did Last Summer, a Sam episode for once. (laughs) But... You know, we can't we can't focus on Sam for more than five minutes. So yes. here we are. <laughs> I like that we just like fucking get to it. We're just like starting off with Anna like throwing her blood on a mirror. Right. It's it's a very fun start to the episode. They're like, we're gonna go fucking hard. Yeah, right. <laughs> I really like that. Not only are we, like, diving right in, and this is, like, kind of contrary to the sort of two-part episode experience that we've had in the past with this show, particularly in this season. Do you remember that it was, like, there was the two-parter episode that was, like, the back-in-time one, and then we got back, and they were just like, but what if we did something entirely different, not related to that at all? But anyway, I don't trust it to be continued in this show almost ever. Right? No, that's Um, a good point. (laughs) Because they tend, they seem like they want to swerve a lot of the time. Oh, if this episode did that, I would have been fucking mad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if they had just been like, okay, well, Anna Milton, whatever, let's go uh, hunt yeah. a ghost. <laughs> no. So, like, in this not quite cold open thing, Castiel is very different right off the bat than he kind of normally yeah. is. <laughs> I just like his knowing glances. Him and Jensen just immediately, they're like, okay, we got this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, like fucking magnets. They're like, hello, hello. Eye contact. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I find his like demeanor during this whole scene really interesting because normally he's sort of in charge of what's going on, but he's very like quiet and contemplative here where Uriel is like stomping around and like yelling the whole time and 
calling everybody a slut mm-hmm. and a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> and Cass is like, yeah, we have no heart. What about it? But then he's just like, womp, womp in the background the entire time. Yeah. Little baby. Yeah, he's having so he's having a tough time. Poor guy. <laughs> he is. Poor, poor little dude. But you know what? He looks cute doing it. So good for him. Not knowing much about Castiel. I will say they very clearly have a lot of acting things between Uriel and Castiel to like where you can kind of see how different they are in their personality, even though they're both angels who supposedly don't have like a heart. Right, because they definitely have very big personalities. Yeah, both of them. And definitely their own wants and needs and desires or else they because like they're supposed to just like, quote unquote, take orders. But. I know, it's very interesting. I'm very curious about the mythos around these angels. Right, right, yeah. So then I think this episode must have been very satisfying for yes. you in certain regards, considering that Anna's mm-hmm. like, here's all of this stuff about angels. Yeah, it just drops Hello. it on you. I saw something that explained a little bit about why there's such a big difference between Cassiel's personality and like Uriel's personality and some of, some mm-hmm. of the other angels we meet later on. Essentially, it was a behind-the-scenes thing. Misha was talking about the personalities of the different angels and everything, and he essentially explained that when he started doing the role, he was the first angel that we saw. And so he was setting a precedent for this creature that is sort of, you know, mysterious and, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and unknowable. And so he did this persona expecting other actors to continue this persona type in order to show that they're angels. Um, And then all the actors afterwards just acted like normal people and it completely kind of threw off what he was doing. Um, So he explained that instead of... That's funny. I know, instead of being um, like the first angel, it's just Misha's interpretation of a socially awkward one. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that that's how it turned out because I think like... I'm definitely a person who has like a big Castiel is autistic head canon. And I feel like it tracks oh, hell yeah. both with like his interactions with other angels and his interactions with people. He's just like, yeah, absolutely. It's just like off. <laughs> yes. In yes. a way that is so like relatable. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Tiny little man. I'm going to put you in my pocket. Yep. Safekeeping. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. No one's going to hurt you in there, buddy. (laughs) Speaking of socially awkward people, um, he's not the only one because Dean is like insane, I think. This is a really good episode for like some Deanisms. You know how he's always just saying crazy shit slapped together with like some pop culture references as like glue? Yes. I wrote down some of his crazy shit this time. Like I feel like you could you could like make one of those like 365 day tearaway calendars with like <laughs> Deanisms. Do you remember they used to have those with Bushisms in like the oh, Bush yeah. era? Yeah. Like I, I feel like we could have this with Dean. But let me just let me read some of these. So the first one occurs in this scene. He says, Anna may have sent the angels to the outfield, which really doesn't mean anything um, unless you have the context that he's referencing the movie Angels in the Outfield. Mm -hmm. And then later he asks Uriel, have you tried (laughs) J-Date? Which, by the way, is very weird because that's apparently a Jewish dating app. Oh. (laughs) What? 
And I'm like, why are you asking Uriel this? So that was an interesting thing. And and also, why do you know about JD? JD. Like, what is <laughs> what's going on? Later, he calls Anna God's little power ranger. <laughs> and then huh, my favorite one in the whole episode is, so what? You're going to take some divine bong hit and Shazam your Roma Downey? Yeah. Sir, what do you mean? <laughs> I love the fact that Anna just is like, yes, actually. And I'm just like, yep, there, there was the... That was the connection right there. She understood what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. She heard that man say nonsense, and she was like, I'm going to suck that cock. And you know what? <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> yeah. I respect that. She's like, I love a dumb bitch. Let me hit that. He's, he's such a himbo. <laughs> Seriously. Like, he's so smart, but he's so stupid. Yeah. Like, what? Baby, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) The next scene is when they move to Bobby's panic room while they're trying to deal with these angel and demon issues. And the safest place they can think of is the rust bucket in Bobby's basement. I just think, okay, there's a lot to kind of break down here. This, I'm obsessed with this yeah. scene. Go off, Jordan. Go off. <laughs> I first, I just want to talk about before the scene, because it is a good scene, but um, there's something about when they're in trouble, Dean is immediately like Bobby, because Bobby is their father. Yeah. He's yes. always like, safety, yeah. run to Bobby. And then like any time he's like stressed out, he's like, we got to find Bobby. And Sam's like, that's impossible. He's in the Caribbean. And he's like, no, we got to <laughs> find Bobby. <laughs> right no it's like it's you're so right because it's like twice in this episode he's like where are we gonna go if we're in trouble and they go to bobby's house and then later when shit hits the fan again they're like bring him back home yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, he, what does he say he's like we gotta bring him back from hedonism yeah. yes Jesus Christ. yeah they say hedonism and then like he talks about him in a banana hammock and i'm like dean stop letting your daddy issues slip out it's not not the time. <laughs> Ew, Jordan. It's, yeah, it's gross, but like, goddamn. I like am so aware that the whole like Dominican Republic thing is like it. It really seems to me like they just couldn't get Jim Beaver for this episode for some reason. Yeah. But I also am like really invested in the idea of Bobby just being like, "Fuck the apocalypse." I'm going on vacation to the Dominican Republic. (laughs) Don't contact me. (laughs) Like, why is he there? I I, want to know. Is anyone writing this fanfic? I mean, I will. I could. You know what, Ripley? You should should be the person to write that. I feel (laughs) like you are the exact perfect person to write that. Thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. And I say this with, like, sincerity and affection. Like, there's no, this is not a dig. I'm in awe of the fact that you could be the person to write this fic. And you know what? I would read it and I would be, like, having a great time. And then randomly I would cry. And I'd be like, why am I crying? He's in banana hammock. Challenge accepted. (laughs) That can be your next, your next crack fic. Oh, yeah. There you go. Mm Mm-hmm. Perfect. I'll write that down. Thank you. <laughs> okay, but this but this panic room scene, I'm really obsessed with the way it's shot. Like the way like everyone is arranged and the way all of the items are arranged around them. Mm-hmm. In particular, 
there, that naked lady poster yes. yep. is, like, nuts to me. Like, because, okay, I don't know about y'all, but, like, I know it's trying to be that, like, ooh, this is, like, a gross older dude's basement, and he's got the, like, you know, stupid Sports Illustrated magazine clippings on the wall kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But there's something about this particular poster that just doesn't strike me as sexual, like, at all. Mm-hmm. It literally reminds me of how, like, the birth of Venus was meant to be, like, boudoir porn. But people were like, this is beautiful. It's probably just because they couldn't have anything too explicit on the show. But yeah, they got something really like black and white and artistic. Well, Bobby's a classy guy. He True. just doesn't show it. You know, you're you're so right about Bobby. But it, it really is like, I think, her, like her pose too. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about like her aura. Like her back is straight. Her shoulders are, like, up and back. Like, she just seems really confident in her nudity. Like, she doesn't seem like she's trying to be sexy. She's just, like, she's, like, just naked. Like, almost as if she doesn't realize she's naked. You know what I mean? Like, it has very, like, even the garden kind of vibes to me. Mm -hmm. Like, unbothered because why would she be? And then, and then they have this, right, directly above Anna's head. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, I wonder if you're trying to tell me something here. <laughs> that is always something that I've always loved with the, um, the like the Kripke era is how much they put into the little details to further what they're saying. Yeah, for um, sure. And it's really funny that you brought up the poster because I've seen this episode a dozen times mm-hmm. and I've never paid attention to that poster. But when I just watched the episode a little while ago to take notes... I caught that poster for a minute and I'm like, hmm, this is interesting to me, but I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I think just like knowing that you're making notes about something and like looking out for interesting stuff makes your eye like keener when you're watching things. I also like to think that it is my horrible and powerful influence making everyone notice all kinds of stupid details (laughs) at all times. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. So besides Anna being seated right beneath this naked lady poster, which seems to have a lot of implicit meaning going on, there's also the way that Ruby is positioned in the shot. First of all, love love to see an isosceles triangle when you're arranging three people in a space. Love that. Mm-hmm. But, like, the way that she can't come in the room, like, the way she's physically excluded, and then, like, she's sort of in the half-light, half-shadow, just really emphasizes how she's, like, an outsider and an interloper, um... And I'm, I'm really obsessed with it, especially when compared to Anna, who's, like, sitting directly beneath, like, this uh, lamplight. It's very, very neat. And, and all of this is despite her help and despite Dean going out of his way to thank Ruby, you know, for, like, the hex bags and stuff. She's still sort of, like, kept at a distance purposely. And I love that. And I find that so compelling. I just think there's a lot you can do without saying anything at all in TV and in movies. And that's part of why I'm so fucking obsessed with watching TV and movies all the time. (laughs) I love art, you guys. We had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting to see Pamela again. 
mostly yeah. because I'm like, oh, they let a woman live for two episodes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, totally. I mean, that's absolutely fair. Yeah, I was like, wasn't she dead? No, they just, they just, nope. you know, they just burned out her eyeballs. Oh, fair, fair. Yeah, that's it's good. It's fine. She's fine. She's fine. She's profiting off of it. She's good. Oh, yeah, no, totally. And, like, <laughs> I'm sure, like, she's clearly pissed. Like, she points out that she's pissed, but, like, she has a very um, pragmatic attitude, yeah. I think. Yeah, so I agree. So it, like, works. Um, I know we've already talked about Sam's repeated unwanted advances and, like, why that, it's just weird that that's, like, a thing. And, of course, we get, like, a little yeah. bit more of it here. I think here what makes me less, like, irritated about it is that she's doing it specifically to fuck with him because he's being all like oh oh my gosh like or hi like oh you're blind and she's like shut up (laughs) yeah so i'm like i'm like okay like it's fine and like because that's kind of her reputation with them as being like a little grabby and inappropriate i think i don't know i also think sam doesn't care and like her balancing it out by pointing out that he's looking at her boobs yeah. is like like they're both on their worst behavior. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, it's it's fine. Nobody's doing a good job here. <laughs> in yeah, terms yeah. of just like character writing for disabled people in general, I have to say though, I really like this depiction of her. Because she makes it obvious very quickly that she, like, doesn't really need their help. Like, she can't drive or whatever, obviously. Like, Dean goes and picks her up and then drops her back home. But she she isn't really... She's just not treated like she's any less than than previously. Um, and, like, demands to be taken seriously. Yeah, and, absolutely. And there's even, like, um, the way in which, like, this scene sort of points at um, genre writers, one, but two, audience expectations and tropes and things, uh, where she, she like, says, makes me look extra psychic, don't you think? With, like, mm-hmm. her, her false eyes. And, you know, it's true that I think the, that kind of visual aspect really makes us go, like, ooh, spooky. I don't know. So it's just, it's a good, lighthearted little beat in the middle of, all of this wacky, crazy nonsense that's going on. Yeah, I agree. And even though it's just, like, a little, tiny little bit, I think, like, it has so much impact, which we really need going into this hypnosis scene. Yes. (laughs) What did you think of this, Jordan? I thought it was a lot of fun, to be honest. Um, A little predictable, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I think there's a reason why this scene was, like about at the midway point and also very short they were like you get it by now they were like you get it yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just let's get this over with but damn go off miss julie she can really yell yeah. holy moly <laughs> she's wailing her head off <laughs> i just like the dissonance too of like her wailing her head off and then suddenly waking up waking up like i know what i need to know Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is very dramatic. I think the stark contrast there is is supposed to like you know emphasize the fact that her human personality isn't really who she is. You know, she does basically transform into a different person right before our eyes. 
So, like, as goofy and corny and campy as it is, I do appreciate this scene. Yeah, same. Did you also laugh at um, at Anna punching Dean out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I had to, like, stop because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> Pam's like, Dean, don't get any closer. And he's like, but I have to help pretty lady. And Anna's like, kapow! <laughs> <laughs> So oh, fun. Anna has such an interesting character development here. They mm-hmm. do like really well of balancing like that she is kind of like carefree and a little bit of like a bimbo, but also yeah. like really honest and kind of always knows the bigger picture. And that like comes yeah. through very similarly, but also different between like her like aware of being an angel self and not. I don't know. I just think that that actress did such a good job with this character. Yeah. I'm obsessed with Anna. Right. Anna is, like, honestly iconic. Like, I love she just is, like, yelling at them for being dishonest with her. And she's just, like, constantly freaking out and being really emotional. And even when she's more subdued, like, when we see this change in her demeanor, she is very... Yeah, you're right. She is very focused on, like, genuineness and openness in a way that we're not used to from any of these characters. Like, one of the big recurring things we notice is this big uh, emphasis on lies and deception um, Mm -hmm. with each other and other people and themselves even. So it's really refreshing when she's just like, hey, I'm going to sit here and tell you your business. And I'm going to sit here and tell you my business. And we're going to air everything out. (laughs) I'm like, yes. Thank you. (laughs) Someone reasonable. (laughs) It's definitely a breath of fresh air. For sure. To to see that. For sure. Mm -hmm. It's impossible, I think, given how few female characters there are not to sort of compare Ruby and Anna. But I think also this episode really encourages us no, to. No, literally, literally, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think it's it's down to, like, lines of dialogue, too. First thing she says after they go upstairs is, don't be afraid, I'm not like the others. And I'm immediately mm-hmm. reminded of the previous episode, her saying, Ruby isn't like other demons, yeah. And, like, the the contrast in their reactions to each other, ah, it just tickles that little bit in my brain. I'm just, like, a little gremlin, like, yeah, yeah, look at those parallels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even, like, the visual cues, like, in the back of the mirror and... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also, like, the focus of uh, um, Ruby and Sam and then Dean and Anna in this Dean episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They share some dialogue there, too. When, like, when Anna is, I I don't even know if you would call it seducing, because she's so sweet about it, but I guess that's what it is. When she's seducing Dean, she tells him, um, you're not alone, which is exactly what Ruby said to Sam. So, uh, like, they definitely are like, do you get it? We're drawing a line from A to B. (laughs) 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 But... Like, it doesn't bother me for whatever reason. Maybe it just, with a little bit of space in between when I've seen these episodes. And, you know, for someone who's watching TV week to week, when this was airing currently, it feels more comfortable to have some time in between these two episodes to 
mull over what you saw and then to see like some similar lines thrown at you. But I I think, you know, even on a binge, I'm like, I'll see what you did there. (laughs) Jordan, tell me what you thought of all this angelic lore that gets dumped in our lap. Oh, yeah. So here we're mostly talking about the grace, relinquishing it. Yeah. Anna introduces the concept of grace, which she describes as like energy. And then later they call it the pure power of creation. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I always like the idea of having um, magic in a world or like something supernatural, like having it like a literal personification. Yeah. I was curious to see how they were going to um, exemplify grace, which Uh is why um, I got really excited when the tree was brought into it. Of course, the tree ended up being a red herring. um, And instead, I kind of liked it being on the necklace because it was like something that could be taken and like held on to. Yeah, yeah, something tangible. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Actually, um, I like that with the angels are just kind of giving us how they work immediately. Yeah, they're like kind of opposite to the demons where there was a big mystery around them for like three and a half fucking seasons. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Felt like a million years, whereas the angels are very like, hup too, this is what we're doing. It helps that I think Anna is so, she has so much distaste for angels and the angelic nature that she's like chomping at the bit to shit talk them. (laughs) (laughs) So she's like, oh yeah, fucking angels. Little dumbass, obedient, no free will, stupid heads. Anna is just I like Ruby but Anna is S tier I'm like amazed at how much you like Anna I love that I don't know why I thought you were just gonna be kind of meh about her but like I'm like sincerely stoked because sometimes I feel like an island in this fandom the only (laughs) one who likes Anna (laughs) I'm like I just think she's cool she is cool thank you Ripley See, you get it. <laughs> I always liked Anna, so... They better do her justice when she gets beheaded by an angel or something. Oh Same with Pamela. <laughs> I know Pamela has one good episode left before she's killed. I hope it's they do her justice, too. <laughs> good grief. I'm giving it four episodes. Four episodes, Pamela is going to come back and die. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. I'm making note of that now. So this is... This is 4.10, you're saying by 4.14, she'll be Uh, out of here. 4 to 5. I'm going to give myself a range, but only a two-episode range. Okay, well, I just wanted to, you know, lay it out there for people keeping track of Jordan's insane clairvoyance. Um. I mean, that's that's not a... They kill everyone in this show, so I mean, I guess Okay, okay, but, like, you really understand the rhythm of a story, so I I do find it funny when you predict things, like, well into the future, so we're just saying, what's what's gonna have happened within five episodes, that's all. I'm excited. Honestly, like, the last handful of episodes in the season are, like, fucking insane. I'm just, like, I'm just saying. There's, a, there's like, a lull for me, a little bit of a lull, but then it comes back, and it comes back hard. Mm-hmm. It, Absolutely. It's so, oh, it's so good. And you get to a point where you're, like, I can, I have to finish this whole season now. Like, I don't know what to do. But don't do it, Jordan, because we gotta talk about it first. <laughs> Anyway, 
Something that I adore about this episode is that not only does it give us all of this new angel information, some fresh dynamics between the characters and everything, but for the first time we kind of have the audience in Ruby's perspective for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's so fun to get some insight into what she might be feeling, in particular there's like a certain sweetness to how we see her perceiving Sam. And I'm just obsessed with it. I apologize for anyone who's listening who is just really not into Sam Ruby, but it's the number two <laughs> Sam ship for me. <laughs> Aww. I know, Ripley. <laughs> uh, it's not a popular one. I apologize. I apologize for my bad taste. I have been informed recently by Twitter that I have bad taste, so that's fine. Aw, it's okay. <laughs> You're staying in character. It's fine. Yeah, no, totally. This is all part <laughs> of my podcast persona. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. I, you know, I do really, I need the moral support. I need the moral support. Got your back. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. But you can't, okay, but you can't sit there and tell me it's not cute when Sam is, like, researching all this Comet stuff. Yeah. And she's like, you're pretty buff for a nerd. Oh, and, they're adorable. Uh, it's gross. Oh, it's disgusting. And he just, like, <laughs> and he just, like, talks right over her. Like, he doesn't care. He's like, yeah. oh, yeah, and then this happened in Kentucky and blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> and she's just making this OU face. And I'm like... Oh my god, get me to the dentist, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder how much of that was, like, characters, and how much of that was bleed-through from the, the actors. Yeah, no, for sure. I think about that a lot, too. Um, like, it, they clearly have great chemistry, but I'm sure that, like, how am I trying to phrase this? I think, but I also think that after the previous episode where their dynamic was shown to us as being very, like, she's very forceful and aggressive, and maybe this is dangerous or a bad idea. All of those sorts of vibes we got from that. I think we need to be shown, like, moments of tenderness as well in order to feel like they have any kind of a real relationship that we want to care about. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Exactly. That's actually been like a complaint I've had about the show in the past, where mm-hmm. we haven't had a lot of levels in the relationships between characters, so I actually really mm-hmm. enjoyed seeing that here. Yeah. Well, especially because it's not like they threw all of Ruby's previous interactions with Sam or Dean out the window in this episode. It's just we're getting like a little bit of a gentler spin with her. Like even right after this moment where she's being really cute, she then is like being really pushy with Sam about like, you need to do this exorcism. You need to work on your powers. And he like really has to tell her off. And that that feels more like what we're used to. But because it has this other element mixed in, it does still feel fresh. Like, I I think there's a concern at the beginning of this season that the whole Ruby being like, use your powers, Sam being like, no, it's going to get really old really fast. In the same way that in season two, this idea of Sam being the monster and relating to the monster 
started to really grate on our nerves. Yeah. <laughs> right. But but they're able to keep it very, um, even though it's hitting on that same thematic note, they're able to keep it dynamic by playing with the character interactions themselves. Is this the, I just watched it and I'm now forgetting, is this <laughs> the, uh, the conversation where she describes the two sides of heaven and hell as monsters? Yes, it is. She is she's very terrified of them. She uh, yeah. is saying they should get the fuck out of there. And she compares them to Godzilla and Mothra. She says when Godzilla and Mothra are fighting, you got to get the fuck out of the way. Like, you don't want to get caught in the middle. Right. And so as somebody who knows Godzilla and Mothra, um, it was, I thought it was an interesting comparison that she used because... Mm-hmm. You know, she's trying to depict them as these two big bad villains, right? Right. Um, And if you're a layman, a lot of the movies that came over, like, in the 80s and 90s were poorly dubbed Godzilla movies. Yeah. Um, And one of the more common ones that we've seen is Godzilla versus Mothra, and Mothra is the big kind of moth, right? Isn't Mothra a girl? Yeah, she's the mother of monsters. She's like a guardian of Earth. Gotcha. But, and then Godzilla is usually the bad guy. Sometimes he's the anti-hero, but for the most part, I thought it was interesting that Ruby used that reference because Mothra is, she is a protector of good people, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But she also gets her ass whooped by Godzilla all the time. (laughs) So... (laughs) So I thought it was kind of interesting that they went for that metaphor when if you're someone who knows the movies, you would think that a better metaphor would be Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah is a giant three-headed golden space dragon who's literally referred to as the devil in the series. That would probably make a better nemesis for Godzilla. So it's kind of funny that... The reference is a nerdy reference, but like a layman nerdy reference. Right. Whereas if you know the series, you're like, that they're not that powerful then. Right. And I you wonder know. what that says about her her opinions on what side is more likely to to win. Right. Like who is Godzilla and who is Mothra here? Maybe I'm thinking about this too hard, but I do love to think too hard. Well, no, it's, that's the part of the fun of how the show is written because they, they use metaphors and similes so often. Yeah. It's not just that Dean and Sam make references that this is a trick that the writers are using to get as much information to the audience as possible yeah, without yeah. saying a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, so, exactly. It, and, like, instead of relying on a lot of cliches, not that they don't because all, right. like, media writers do... And they can sort of skirt those uh, cliches and some some tropes, obviously not all tropes, by pressing all of these outside media references in. Which is why every exactly. time they bring up a movie specifically, I'm like, I should watch this movie <laughs> to prep <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> it's like, all right, what is Dean saying in his weird Dean language? In his weird <laughs> Dean language? Oh, that little man. He's so cute. I want to <laughs> shrink him down to an inch tall and tuck him into bed inside a walnut. <laughs> How very Thumbelina. I love it. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Which is fun to think about in the context of kaiju. Right. He's so itty bitty. (laughs) 
Right after this, um, essentially, Anna and Dean have their talk in the junkyard. And I'm so struck by how the first thing Dean brings up when he is finally alone with her is, why was I saved from hell? Like, why me? What do they want? Poor little man. That's that's tough. And I wondered, um, I wondered what you made of that. I felt bad, but like, I like to see my characters tortured a little bit. Oh, yeah. I was like, so excited when Anna like said that note, because I'm like, Dean looks unbothered. But he's so bothered and you can tell. Oh my god, right. And I was ready for like a trauma explosion. I mean, that's kind of what we saw. He like panics. He's like, yeah, that's when he's like, we gotta get Bobby back from hedonism. We gotta go back to yeah. Bobby's. Yep. Right, right. That kind of makes sense because like last time that they got into trouble. Yeah. Like when Dean made his deal and everything, Bobby was the one to kind of be like, you dumbass. So, right. you know, go to Bobby. Right, right. Of course. Um, like if anyone was going to talk him out of it, it would be Bobby, I feel. Mm-hmm. And it's so true to both their characters. I think that Dean's immediate reaction is like an emotional response and seeking people that he cares about. And Sam's first response is very pragmatic. He's like, okay, how do we kill angels? <laughs> <laughs> He's just like straight it. up like, let's not fuck around with this. Like, how do we get rid of them? Very on brand for him. Especially when you read a lot of like fix and stuff stuff that like Sam is always like like the softer brother but then you go back and actually watch the earlier seasons and that motherfucker is crazy (laughs) (laughs) oh god he is so crazy even from season one I know yeah I remember the first time Jordan that you pointed it out was in route 666 when Sam is like telling Dean to like drive onto the the holy ground like the site where the church was (laughs) and he was like oh I wasn't sure if that would work (laughs) God. Yeah, Dean definitely could have been included in that plan. Right. Yeah. No and, reason and, to not include him. Right. And they like just had an instance of this same behavior in um it's the great pumpkin Sam Winchester. He's like, oh, yeah. maybe we can try smearing blood on our faces. Just oh, do it. <laughs> yeah. I love that about him though. He's like he's like an ideas guy. Yeah. I think they should play into it even more. No, I say, definitely. Like I for have sure. power over this show that is already ended. <laughs> so are we ready to talk about when the interactions, the like sequences about like Anna Milton and Dean having the heart to heart? Okay, they have two. One is the one that they have in the junkyard, which I feel is very important to talk about. And then the other one is by the tree. So here we're by the tree. Okay. I really want to talk about the one in the junkyard, which was like 10 minutes earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, no, I think I got him flip-flopped. Okay. The one in the junkyard is after Dean drops off Pamela and... Then he, he drives up and is talking to Anna, who's looking at the night sky. And I wish I could identify constellations at all, because they definitely made certain stars much brighter. They looked like they were trying to indicate particular ones, but I'm not good at identifying them. But anyway, I just, I really love this entire conversation. And they're sort of like back and forth, like tennis match about whether being human is any good. Dean's whole thing is, like, he's not talking about humans, right? He's just talking about himself. Like, he doesn't hate humanity. He just hates himself. So I'm, like, sitting there like, no, sweet man. (laughs) And I'm like, thank you, Anna, for being just like, shut up. (laughs) 
I think the important thing is that they each bring up three serious qualities that are good and bad about humanity. And Dean brings up confusion, fear, and guilt. And Anna brings up loyalty, forgiveness, and love. And those are all of the main emotions and themes like highlighted in this episode. This scene is like the episode squished into like a minute. Right. I also am very um, interested in Dean's attitude about angels because he has consistently called them dicks and been like... I don't like them or whatever, but here he says they're perfect. And I'm just like, ugh, man, if that doesn't hit me right in the Dean cast, holy crap. Aww, <laughs> Everybody I leave me think alone. About that. Aww. I know. <laughs> you guys are perfect and powerful. You don't doubt yourselves or God or anything. Oh man, like his opinion of them is so positive considering everything. But then another thing that drives me crazy about this. As we just had Cass tell Dean he does have doubts. Right. In in, uh, the end of It's the Great Pumpkin, Sam Winchester. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Anna is like replying about how they're cold and they have no choices and only obedience and how like these things that she's embodying and describing are like the antithesis of angelhood. But they are also describing Cass like retroactively um, because of our context like we know these things about him and we are witnessing his changing attitude in this episode as well um Mm -hmm. i just there's so many layers going on the scene makes me crazy especially because and i'm sorry i'm just like going on and on especially (laughs) because she then they have that interaction where dean is like haha i can relate when she's talking about being like silent and invisible and on the road and waiting for orders and her unknowable uh-huh. father, blah, blah, blah. But she had mentioned that, quote, she was in the same foxhole, sort of, with um, Cass and Uriel. So Cass also relates to that. It's it's just, there's so much to think about here. I, like, I feel like I, someone just put, like, a whole bunch of taffy in my mouth. And I'm just, like, chewing, you know? <laughs> Working your way through. I apologize for being, like, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah i was really um excited so we had dean's little kind of freak out with the possibility of him going back to hell yeah this episode really opens up a dialogue into what was going on with dean in hell and i Mm -hmm. like that they kind of build the intrigue up before they actually tell us right i do really like this kind of interaction here where anna's like i know what you did in hell and it's kind of telling too Mm -hmm. like dean had so much guilt about what happened in hell and so much like trauma and like dean's worthiness is something that like is a reoccurring theme our self-worth in this thing but here we have like of course she doesn't confirm it but here we have a literal angel yeah saying like i know what you did in hell um and that you should forgive yourself a literal angel right do i think he'll listen no but (laughs) she tried i think it's just really telling to and like to real life like how people like think about themselves and like how much people yeah. try and build them up and it's just like you're not gonna hear it until you're ready to hear it it's very interesting to me i think there's also like even not talking about the sex scene even just like this dialogue the back and forth between them here there's such a sense of tenderness that i find just 
it makes me feel so melty and and it's it's so sad too right like the way she she reaches up to like touch dean's face and he like flinches away like he's gonna be hit i'm like little man no it's tough it's tough it's so tough and like the i think the only other time he's he's been touched like that with like gentleness is like his his mother in the gin dream and it's it's Mm -hmm. just oh man (laughs) like and and when his mom his fake mom touched his face like that that was pre-hell and then now this is post-hell and like we're we're getting to see big differences in his reactions to certain stuff it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Poor little dude. I, and also, like, when when she says you should forgive yourself, and he's, like, sort of stammering, he, like, redirects to say I can't talk about it. And I think he was, they were trying to give us the sense that he was saying I don't want to talk about it. But when she says you should forgive yourself, and then he says I don't want to, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. It sounds like I don't want to forgive myself, which I think is also true. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I am upset about fictional man. (laughs) Poor little guy. I know. Oh. Okay. Let's talk about the sex scene. Okay. Thank God. Um, (laughs) So we haven't had a lot of sex scenes in this show. The first one was in season one and it was Dean and Cassie. The second one was in Heart between Sam and Madison. And then there was just another second one with Sam and Ruby, um, which got cut off in the previous episode, I Know What You Did, last summer. And now we're getting to Dean's second sex scene in the show, uh, which is with Anna. How, how are we feeling? Let's take everybody's temperature about that. I mean, obviously, this episode, I expected the sex scene to happen. I was not expecting Anna's character to go this way. How do you mean? I don't know. I was just not expecting an Anna-Dean sex scene. Yeah. Maybe it's just because I thought Anna, like, gives me gay vibes. Oh my god, right? So does Dean, so... I mean, (laughs) who knows? Yeah. It was like, honestly, in my opinion, a really awkward softcore porn sex scene. It was not my favorite. Right. I just never liked CW sex scenes. But I'm like, they did manage to make a straight sex scene kind of homoerotic with Anna, like, placing her hand on the Castiel mark. Oh, this is a topic of much contention in fandom. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a thought about about that. Yeah. So I know everybody harps on it now. But when I remember when I first watched the show years and, you know, years ago, back in ancient times when dinosaurs roamed the earth. I remember that. (laughs) um, I remember watching it. And even though I was still kind of flinching about it, but... I kind of took it to mean that it was going to be it she was kind of over overstepping over heaven's influence sort of it was going to be her and dean versus like the world sort of even though heaven had their mark on him she was going to be able to like get him away from that is kind of how I took it of course now everybody like hates it but at the time I thought it was kind of more of a, a sort of a hopeful thing um still kind of awkward though like hella awkward but yeah. If they just didn't have the fogged up window with her hand. I know. <laughs> like slowly, it would have been much better. Yes, yeah. they didn't need that. That really struck me as something someone added in to be funny. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, that's true. Honestly, I thought it was kind of camp. Like, it reminds me of, like, when I would go to bed in, like, late middle school, early high school at, like, 11 p.m. And I was, like, watching a bad movie, like, The Last Samurai on Showtime. <clears throat> and then I would wake up and, like, softcore porn would be playing. And it's, like, some <laughs> really stupid scenario. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, I, I oh, think I like man. the ideas behind it. And I like the buildup to it. The scene itself is so corny. I think the song is really corny. It's that Bad Company song. They really like Bad Company. It's like not the first time we've had their music. They've probably paid the full royalty for it. They have to get their money's worth. I will say I think this one is a step up from the Dean Cassie one in season one. Um, That was horrible. It, like, literally made me wish I could not see. (laughs) It was so bad. Do you remember how bad that was, Jordan? I do. It was very awkward. It was. It was probably so awkward that that's why we did not get another sex scene for another 10 episodes. Yeah. I think, think, like, Dean is so busy trying to be a caretaker that it's just something that's not on his radar, you know? Like, I think, like, he seriously gives me single mom vibes a lot of the time when he's, like, (laughs) interacting with women in this show. Like, it's like, yeah, you're cute and all, but I need to see what my, you know, my ward is doing <laughs> right um but like there's something about this scene uh i i appreciate the way like that that anna instigates it like it's not dean who instigates it which again sort of underwrites this whole idea of him being like this big playboy or whatever that we sort of had like forced down our throats in like seasons one and two but then almost immediately subverted and i can't can't help but um think about the ways in which like this echoes that sentiment that like yeah no like he's all bark (laughs) right and um i think like well, there's clearly like attraction here. I what I really like about this scene is that this feels like people who are friends comforting each other the only way that they know how. Like there's nothing they can do. They know their situation is just really bad and they just don't want to feel alone. And I think both of them have really good reasons to feel alone and like no one else understands them. So I I find it, like, tender in that way. And I think, Jordan, it's funny that you bring up that they both give you gay vibes because, like, I'm not going to lie, like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I I don't know. It just seemed like friends helping each other out to me. Yeah, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I, I think when you compare that to Sam's sex scenes, I don't know, like, how those are so, like, believable in comparison. You know what I mean? It's like, Sam is interested in a lady, and they just get to it, you know? And you're like, like, yeah, they like each other. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mm-hmm. get it. He commits fully to his course of action. Right. I do love that, like, their um, sex scenes sort of reflect their personalities in the show. Like, Dean's are very, like, sort of up close and a little bit more on the soft emotion scale whereas the ones with Sam are very they're a little more pulled out and like there's a lot more um 
like physical motion like bodies are doing a lot of stuff they're like moving <laughs> around rooms and it's like much more high energy and like like they seem I don't know like do you know what I'm trying to get at like they're more fiery I guess because like Sam is like the more like angry like kind of character I, I don't just, know what I'm trying to say <laughs> I just had a thought and I don't know if this thought works at all but I just had it so I'm just gonna share it Nice. Let's go. <laughs> I was just thinking, like you said, about the how they're different and everything. And I was just kind of thinking, like, Sam has sex like a top. And then Dean has sex like a bottom who's trying to be a top and doesn't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my fucking God. <laughs> now that I kind of think about it, that makes a lot of sense. But... Yeah, yeah, that kind of just yeah, wow. popped in my head. All you're right. welcome. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you know what? When you're right, you're right. <laughs> Not that we need another, like, Ruby parallel, but I also think it's interesting to think about how um, Ruby comments to Sam in the previous episode, it's just me in this body, because she specifically went and got a body to possess that didn't have a soul in it. And yep. um, because Anna is just Anna, like, she is not possessing anyone the way the other angels are either. So, again, right. not that we need another Anna-Ruby parallel, but it's there. Look at it. Ta-da. I just think they should kiss now. <laughs> They're adorable. They are. And do you notice that, like, they get left alone a lot? Like, multiple, oh, fan multiple fiction times. Gap? I see where you're going. Yeah. No, I mean... They need to be a thruple with Pamela. You are so right. <laughs> you are so right. How did I not think of this? Someone needs to make this happen. Will it be you? I don't know. But someone. <laughs> well, there is the, the fem slash bang. It will be next year, I'm sure. So I can keep that in mind. Yeah. Just, you know, we'll have it brewing. We'll have it brewing. There you go. So speaking of Ruby, we do go back to Ruby now. And this is where, again, we get sort of her perspective. She's watching over Sam sleeping, which reminds me of Cass watching over Dean sleeping. By the way, yeah, immediately literally. thought of that. <laughs> but she's not as gay about it. Yeah, I. She feels very mother bear. I think. Yeah. Right here, like, like there's a sense of fondness as she's watching him and sort of walking through these like lights and shadows. But it feels very protective, also. So it's a little different, I think, than Cass's gay little bed sit. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I just. I love how, like, you know, we have all these Anna Ruby things going on, but then because of the way Cass and Anna have, like, an overlap in their characterization, the Ruby Cass things overlap as well. Mm -hmm. And so it begins <laughs> dun, dun. with the crazy subtextual analyses. I say crazy, but I know I'm not crazy. And I know I'm not crazy because random straight boys on Reddit refer to Cass as Dean's angel boyfriend. And boyfriend? they are outside of the supernatural fandom. So that's how I know I'm not crazy. So here is when we have Ruby kind of summoning. Does she actually summon Alistair? So what she does is she goes out into like the middle of wherever and burns the hex bag that was keeping her hidden. And then Alistair like finds her and 
like basically immediately. I'm like really blown away by how brave she is, honestly, because we know how much the angels freak her out. And we know from earlier that Alistair freaks her out more than the angels. But here she is. She goes out into the middle of wherever to specifically have a conversation with him that she probably knew was gonna end up bad for her. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, oh, you go, you go, you crazy bitch, you. Yeah, Ruby's the coolest. She is super cool. I thought of you earlier when I was watching the episode because she's wearing like one of her skull t-shirts the whole time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did notice. <laughs> Very I mean, 2008. I know. And you know what? Like, good for her. Live your, live your truth. Sometimes you're just like a trashy skull t-shirt kind of gal, and that's just how you gotta be. So, like, you know, that's fine. So, do we have her torturing before we squip to the dream? Or do those happen concurrently? They're kind of cut together. I didn't take a lot of notes on that, because, like, the torturing itself is just kind of like... Torture. I just didn't <laughs> think it was that interesting. So, my thing with it is, is I think it's a little annoying that, like, um, of course, like, so when we saw Dean and Hal, he was, like, on a meat hook. He was yeah. still fully clothed. But, of course, when Alistair, oh. who tortured Dean, yeah, when Alistair, who kidnaps, you know, who tortured Dean, kidnaps Ruby, it's, like, full nude, legs spread, like. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just like, ugh, so predictable. It, it's frustrating. It's like, you know, ripping someone open isn't supposed to be, like, titillating in that way. Yeah. Right. And, like, making it sexual here is kind of weird. Like, this isn't NBC's Hannibal, okay? But the thing yeah. with that is that Hannibal would have made everyone naked regardless of gender. <laughs> True. So I don't even fucking know. I don't know what I'm trying to say with this. My point is it feels sexist. Yeah, it does. Huh, I never even thought of that. And like an otherwise episode that does pretty well, which I think is just what's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, it's a blip, but it's like kind of a aggravating one, especially when you bundle in the fact that like she consistently gets called like a whore and a slut and a skank like all the time. Yeah. Right. And, and then they have her here and it's like not even um, not even her being tortured can be separated from this idea of her as a slut. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the demons call her that. Like the angels, are, well, Uriel, I can kind of get it. But like, why would the demons care? Why would that be the thing that they're hung up on? I think they're just, they're know. just catty bitches. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, you're a whore. I think the insults should be like opposite. They should be like, you chast one right they should like honor sluttiness and stuff yeah right like when alistair shows up he calls them he calls the angels sanctimonious as like his insult yeah stuff calls like them that. sanctimonious fanatical um pricks <laughs> oh pricks pricks yeah you're right sanctimonious fanatical <laughs> pricks okay i lost my mind when i when i watched the dream with uriel mm -hmm. his character is so freaking weird because he's he's got like this aura sometimes of being like this big bad angel and then sometimes he just kind of just speaks very oddly like when he goes up to Dean and he says you took a slice of angel food cake in reference to having sex with right. Anna and I'm just like what and then he like reverts back to just being an angel I'm like okay that they they needed another take or something I don't know what that was but it just it kind of <laughs> 
I kind of liked it because he's just like a bitch, you know, like he's just mean. (laughs) So like any chance he could have to like be demeaning, I think he's just taking it. And like, it's funny to me that he doesn't even like refer to her by name in in that bit. Like she's like so objectified and like exists only for consumption. (laughs) It's funny. No, it's horrible. It is. it, It like really is. And like, it's the only time that like it's referred to that they slept together but like it does strike me that other than that moment no one is like calling anna like a whore or slut right that was what i was gonna bring up is that nobody does that and you'd think like yuri would be all over that no yeah it's an interesting choice i don't know if it makes me feel better or worse about the fact that ruby is specifically singled out as being a slut i don't i still don't get it (laughs) i don't either i have no idea I do really like this dream sequence, though, regardless of Uriel being um, how he is. (laughs) Right. What really stands out to me is the line, you can be replaced. Yeah, I thought about that, too. Yeah, what do you think about that? They haven't given us a lot on Dean's role in this, but we know he plays a big one. And, like, especially it's been shown that Uriel is very powerful. So the fact that he has not been able to just kill Dean, which is what he obviously wants to do, He's been shown that he doesn't have a lot of respect for human life. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. to see like what way, like how Dean is a major player in all of this. Right. And can he even be that major if like someone else can just take over and do whatever it is instead? Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Also shout out to Uriel saying it's funny when monkeys wear clothes. (laughs) 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 That made me laugh. (laughs) I was like, look at him, the funniest angel in the garrison. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, yeah. Oh, also iconic fandom line. He, Castiel, has this weakness. He likes you. Yes. It's like coming home. Oh my gosh. So many little (laughs) Destiel things happening. Mm -hmm. But I also like the fact that we kind of get a sense of where Cass is like in the hierarchy because Dean specifically says your boss Mm -hmm. and Uriel says Castiel. When it's sometimes between their personalities, you would think it's the other way around. Yeah. Cass is just quieter. Uriel is like a loud mouth. (laughs) Cass is just a little dude. He's just a little guy. (laughs) He's just a little guy in a really big coat. (laughs) Oh, man. Speaking of insane Dusty Owl moments, there's the scene where, uh, right after this, pretty much, where Cass and Uriel arrive in the barn during the day. Mm -hmm. And it comes to light that Dean told Uriel where they were so that he wouldn't hurt Sam. On brand. On brand. Very on brand. There's that moment where like Dean and Anna kiss and then Cass looks away. But something I didn't notice before is that he doesn't look away right after they kiss. It's it's after that when Anna says, I forgive you. Oh, yeah. Which I, I thought was really too. interesting. And I'm like, I understand the fandom need to make everything about Destiel. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but like, he is clearly, it's like the, what they were talking about earlier in the, um, in the junkyard. Like he's feeling a bunch of guilt and shame and disloyalty. And his like almost apology, I think reflects that. Like feeling regretful, but not sorry exactly. I don't know. I just think it's a lot more interesting this way than being like, I don't want to watch them kiss each other. (laughs) Right. 
It's just a little more depth. I don't know. What do you what do you make of Cass here? Either of you. I I don't know. Everything Cass does has an air of like guilt attached to it weirdly. Except for when he walks in a room. When he walks in the next in a room next to Uriel, he looks very confident and then immediately there's like discomfort. Right. He looks very know. like sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, maybe that's just his face. <laughs> I enjoy it. They're setting us up for something. I'm not sure what. Y- well, I mean, I know he, he joins the boys, but mm-hmm. excited to see how it plays out. What did we think of the fight scene? Do we like the fight scene? Uh, yeah, I liked your all melting demons faces. That was fun. Right. We <laughs> haven't really seen the angels fight anything yet. So it's like pretty cool uriel's like bam i smite you bam i smite you i just can't help but like uriel i know he's like a pompous prick but uh he's so fun (laughs) sometimes those are the best characters though i like when he calls alistair a pussing sore (laughs) yes (gasps) i'm like damn go off (laughs) get him jade Something in this scene that I've not noticed before. Now, this is just like a question I was just wondering in the back of my mind. But when Cass tries to exercise Alistair and he's not able Mm -hmm. to, I thought it was really interesting because it was either Alistair was such a powerful demon and Cass was just, you know, just enough of a lower ranking angel that they just, he couldn't do anything about it. Or since this is right after what happened with Anna and Dean, I'm almost wondering if it's because Cass is starting to have doubts. Oh. And maybe his connection to heaven faltered a little bit because Uriel, who does not have doubts, is going through and just taking demons out left and right. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Huh. And then, you know... Yeah, so it maybe that's like a little bit of an indication. That. I and love then... that thought. I love that thought. You know, I honestly really read it as like Alistair just being like a big deal kind of demon. Like yeah. the same way Sam Hain and Lilith are. <laughs> right. Um, no, he probably you know, like is. He's milky like milky eyes. Yeah, he's very powerful and everything. It, it could be, and it could be a combination of both. But yeah, no, I do. I, I find that a, to be a very compelling thought. That's going in the brain bank for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> brain worms are going to get to it later. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So even though the, the thing with Anna earlier might not have been exactly the Destiel moment, Dean came in and faced his abuser and took took him out so that Cass could survive another day. I love it. Yeah, and I think this is another, it has to be another instance of forgiveness, right? Yeah. Like, why does he intervene here? Like, the entire episode, and the previous one, um, however small, Cass is essentially an antagonist. And, you know, I think he's basically an antagonist most of the time that he's on screen with Dean, although we, we do feel like through the writing and the camera that we're supposed to be beginning to like him but he's still basically an antagonist and is causing like a whole bunch of issues and right like by all rights dean should be pretty fucking pissed off at him um but he like jumps in in this moment to like keep him from being killed and i I'm just like, ah, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder, and, and like with this concept of loyalty too, like, does he feel like a sense of loyalty to Cass for saving him or like a sense of loyalty and camaraderie because of the conversation they had at the end of 4-7 and, you know, all of these kinds of things. So 
makes me crazy. And yeah, yeah, we know he is he's very, very scared of Alistair. Wants nothing to do with anything going on near that business, no way, no how. And yet there nope. he and, is. And I love how he looks at the at the crowbar and he's like, Oh my god, I just did that. Right. No. Oh my god. <laughs> he's so scared, poor little lumpkin. I love Anna's ascension back into angelhood. Yes. Yeah, it feels very powerful. Yeah. And when you were talking earlier about grace as like a tangible object or like magic as a tangible object, um, I feel like this scene like really embodies that super well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know like it, maybe it could be perceived as kind of hokey, but I still think it's very cool that like the, the blast of light um, that comes off of her like creates this sort of wing shape the same way yeah. Cass had oh, cast shadows. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really pretty. Uh, like, I'm not gonna lie. And I love the idea of like Grace as like this um, like pearlescent fog. Like, you know, we think about like the demon smoke or yeah. whatever. And this is like, like not quite the, the antithesis but something that i noticed was i love the parallel between Cass burning pamela's eyes out almost because he didn't know better and anna knowing better and telling them to shield their eyes oh yeah yeah that was very cool i love the drama of, of her like saying it over again mm-hmm. yeah you build up that tension <laughs> something's gonna happen <laughs> this was so perfect for me I'm like, we had an episode. Here's like the payoff, but we had like the build up. The, there was a plan, even though we at the viewer weren't fully let into it. But it like mm-hmm. all came together. It made sense. And we got a big payoff in this scene while still yeah. keeping that tension of we don't know what's going to happen throughout. Very well done. Right. No, totally. And I, and there's a sense that we still don't know what's going to happen because they don't know where she is or, you know, what she's doing or even necessarily how she's feeling. Um, she's just gone. Like there was resolution, but there's still questions, which I think is the perfect way to end any kind of a narrative. Yeah. yeah. And I love how Sam automatically defaults to, well, she's an angel, so I'm sure she's happy. Oh, yeah. So sad. <sighs> right? And Dean being like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> Such a yeah. bummer. Oh, right. Also, like, get the fuck out of here, Misha. Like, what the fuck? Why is he so pretty in this episode? (laughs) Tiny little man with his huge, stupid lips. Get out of here. (laughs) God damn it. Like, he's only in this episode for, like, a total of probably, like, five minutes. And, like, every time he's on screen, he just looks perfect. It's distracting, damn it. Right? (laughs) Get out of here. Now we know how Jensen feels when he tries to act a kid around him. Right, and apparently Kripke. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about this final scene between Sam and Dean. Jordan, I, I would really like to get your thoughts on this, since this is a direct answer to a lot of the questions that we've been mulling over as an audience for this season. I actually really liked the setup, because mm-hmm. Sam has been asking Dean to, like, open up and asking and asking. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it's when Sam is like, you're not telling, I'm not pushing, that Dean is like, okay, it's time, and just, like, right. lets it all go thought it was probably one of the best scenes in the show so far to be honest it's still gut-wrenching even after i've seen it a few times it's like oh it still hits yeah what did you think of some of the like plot details of it oh i mean yeah the 
So we learned that Dean had been tortured, and after 30 years, he finally succumbed and started torturing, so he would no longer have to get tortured. Mm -hmm. And I actually really like this being a punishment for Dean, Mm -hmm. because he's been forced to always put himself last and literally give up his own body, bodily autonomy, to save people he doesn't even know. So now he has to do the inverse for all eternity. I think it's pretty great, honestly. I have never strung it together quite in that way and I really like that. I think that's extremely astute. That's very yeah. Like wow. damn. <laughs> I thought it was evil, which was like good. I loved it. Oh my god, yeah, right. No, it's super evil. And I love like the whole like it, it feels very Greek mythology too, right? Like the thing yeah. that resets every day, like Oh yeah, like uh Prometheus's liver and the eagle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I, something I really like about having this information now is that it recontextualizes stuff from the first half of this season that was maybe a little nebulous beforehand. In particular, I think this gives the episode Yellow Fever some rewatchability because it becomes clear that, oh, he was singled out and not Sam because he was a torturer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and of course there are other moments where he's been extremely uncomfortable in certain situations that recall this detail upon rewatching. It's like one of those things that like, like when we finally learn what John had said to Dean on his deathbed, going back and rewatching that half of season two then becomes very uncomfortable in a good way, I think. And, And there's that same sort of feeling here. So if they flipped, like, some kind of karmic punishment on Dean, was John's punishment in hell, like, actually raising his children? (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) Oh my god. So John Winchester's hell is domestic bliss, is what you're saying? (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) Oh my god. You should write write a fic with that as the tag. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> now, we don't have time to unpack all of that, but, you know. <laughs> no, we really don't. <laughs> um, well, on that note, um, I, that's all of the content we have for the episode itself. How do you guys feel about talking about the fanfic? Let's get into it. Yeah? Okay. Okay, okay. I'm excited about this one. It's a pretty well-known one, but it's not like, you know, like an insane one. It's from 2020. It's called Profoundly Different, co-written by AO3 users Am I Real and Tiama TV. It is an AU where essentially Anna's character is Cass. Is that making sense? Oh, the the okay. summary is a pretty long excerpt, so I'm trying to get around reading it. It's basically what's happening here. No, I mean, I totally no, get that, it. I love the it. idea. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. okay, cool. And uh, Cass is a man, so they would have all believed him, and he wouldn't have been in the asylum. So I'm curious how they would have <laughs> right. found out about him. <laughs> Well, the summary does spoil that he was in the asylum. Oh, I might have read this one. This fic is rated E. It's in one of my favorite collections. There is no SPN canon in Bossing Say, only these fics. (laughs) (laughs) Post finale, yeah, that's the mood. (laughs) Wow. Obviously, the main ship here is Destiel. Some of the other characters include uh, the Novaks, 
Ruby, Anna Milton, Bobby, Lilith, and then there's the tag other supernatural characters. Because it sort of goes through some canon events, you'll see some canon characters pop up. The additional tags are Alternate Universe Canon Divergence, Supernatural Season 4 AU, Bisexual Dean Winchester, Canon Typical Violence, Coming Out, Snuggling, Handjobs, Blowjobs, Fraudage, Castiel and Dean Winchester have a profound bond, Dorks in Love, Supportive Bobby Singer, Sam has a lot going on right now, okay? The Impala <laughs> is not a sex toy, okay, maybe it is. <laughs> Interfural sex, Secret Relationship, Fallen Angel Castiel, Canon Temporary Character Death, and Minor Character Death. Um, this one is long. <laughs> it's long. It is almost 200,000 words. Damn. It has... 37,662 hits, a gajillion bookmarks and kudos and comments. This one is pretty popular, very well received. I personally recommend it. I really enjoy this one. I love the ways that we play with canon. Like, what if this happened instead? I'm just like obsessed with that because I'm always saying, what if that stupid thing didn't happen and a smart thing happened instead? Have you read this one, Ripley? It sounded familiar, but I don't know if I did or not. It's, it might have been too long for me, but I would definitely give it a try. Yeah, you should look it over. I think you would like it. <laughs> Probably because, I mean, I'm saying that because it's like a season four AU. So I'm like, I know this is safe territory for me to be like, yeah, you would like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty like schmoopy with like a little bit of angst which I I feel like is more of like your kind of speed. Like whenever you recommend a fic to me, you're like, it's like some crazy weird, like (laughs) bordering on purple prose. And then I recommend something to you and it's like season four with like crazy plotty things and also so much fluff and schmoop. Yep. That's us. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Okay. Do we want to rate the episode? Yeah. Actually, Ripley, since you are the first timer, I'll let you go first. Um, So I would give it four handprints on a foggy window out of five. Oh, nice. That was going to be mine. That's amazing. Incredible. <laughs> Same brain moment. I'll have to think of something on the fly. Okay. So I actually am going to give five out of five. I think like the only thing I complained about this whole episode was just Ruby being naked, and um, I don't, I don't really care that much. It like constitutes like an eye roll. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm gonna give this a five out of five. Helen-induced traumas. Oh my god. A lot of traumas. At least five of them. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, I'm also gonna give this one a five out of five. I just think this episode is stellar. And I said this about the previous episode, but it's just everything I want in a Supernatural episode. It does it all, baby. It's got everything. Mm -hmm. I think, like, the extra side characters really allow the main characters to breathe so much better than, you know, than some of the early seasons where we're still getting used to how they interact with each other. Um, Even the moments that are, like, corny, I'm like, I love it. I love corny. I love campy. Like, even when I'm cringing, I'm like, I'm cringing, but I like it, you know? So I'm going to give this one a five out of five miraculously aged oak trees. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. All right. So I think it's, this is time for me to predict what's going to happen next. Tell us, oh, wise one, what does the future hold? (laughs) 
I gotta pump myself up. Here we go. Okay, 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 here we go. They're gonna fight a ghost. <laughs> alright, alright, okay. Because <laughs> they're like, okay, I'll, I'll be a little more serious, okay. Because anytime they give us a banger of the episode, they're gonna, they take it away. They're like, oh, you think every week is gonna be dynamic, well paced, and impactful? Think again. <laughs> time to time to fight a wall ghost. <laughs> is it a ghost? Is it a wall? We don't know, but it's gonna somehow be related to Dean's hell trauma. <laughs> they're gonna fight an arbitrary ghost, and then they're gonna be like, "This ghost is evil," kind of like how Dean feels about himself from being in hell. <laughs> And that's exactly what's going to happen. Wow. I love it. I can't decide if that excites me for the next episode or disappoints me. But I guess we'll see (laughs) when we get there. Oh, can I tell what I wish would happen? Yeah, tell me what you wish would happen. What are your hopes and dreams? I wish that we would just not see Ruby or Anna again in the main series because they get their own spinoff together. (gasps) Make out! Yeah, they could just be like... (laughs) Kind of like good omens, but instead, real moody. We have like our mean, depressed demon and our cheery, depressed angel. Oh my god. I'm obsessed. And they <laughs> I just love it. Go around fucking with the war of heaven and hell. Incredible. I love this spinoff. Yep. Who's making this spinoff? Who's writing this fic? Somebody write me this fic right now. Ripley? <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> Types away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. Here I go. Thanks for tuning in to On the Road with Supernatural. Our theme music was composed by Anthony Ployhart, and special thanks to Sophia London for our logo. If you're having fun, hit us up on Tumblr, Instagram, or Twitter at OTR Supernatural, or contact us by email at ontheroadwithsupernatural at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. That's all for today. See you next time in Stratton, Nebraska. Bye. Bye. Bye.